0: I want to welcome everyone here tonight to B Plus Make Disciples. That's the title of this series, and I'm excited about it. I'm so thankful that you've decided to be a part of this class. Um, I've been praying, trusting the Lord to use uh, this to equip and excite and inspire this, this group, uh, whoever would show. And, and, and so that's my, that's my hope. That's my prayer. So let's just begin with a word of prayer. And, and jump right into the word. Father, thank you so much for our time here. Thank you, Lord, for each one who would would come out here on a Sunday night and invest their time. Lord, I want to serve them. And I pray that you would use this time for your glory and for our good. That, Father, we would be ready to receive, that we'd be ready to hear, that we would be shaped by scripture and and challenged, Lord, uh, to to listen and obey and respond to what we see there. I pray that, Lord, you would create here at Gulf Coast, more than ever, a culture of discipleship. Lord, I see it all over the place. But, Father, we're praying that we'd see it more and more. And that we're asking that you'd help us to, Father, uh, really eagerly and in, in investigate what it really means to be a disciple who's making disciples. We want that. And so we thank you that, Lord, you want that. And that, God, you can do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple books that I want to recommend, uh, these aren't like required books for the class, but these are the two that I chose that I I thought, uh, out of the the many uh, books that I found on discipleship, these are the ones I wanted to recommend to you. So the first is Multiply by Francis Chan, Disciples Making Disciples. And one of the reasons why I like this book is uh, because it's Francis Chan, and I like what Francis Chan puts out. But I. His his heart was really to to do what's happening here, to equip the saints, to equip followers of Jesus, to be about making followers of Jesus, to be about equipping and teaching. And so the the purpose of this is to read through it yourself and then own the material and then walk someone else through it. And so what is a disciple? The command to make disciples, the heart of a disciple maker, life in the church, the local church, the global church. Why study the Bible? And then he goes through understanding the storyline of the Bible from creation to the fall. To the Exodus and God's covenant with Moses and the sacrificial system, and then he gets into Jesus, the Messiah, and this great commission that we have. It's just a wonderful tool. And really, if if you're interested in learning about just one of these chapters, one topic, you can just dive into that chapter. And there's Q and A and interaction. There's even a video that you can uh, you can watch on their website. The second book is called One to One Bible Reading by David Helm, and this was my book of the year last year. Not only uh, was it uh, very challenging, but it's very short. And it's, I, I, you can read it like in one sitting because the second half is really just uh, practical um, tools and questions, uh, that, uh, outlines of various books of the Bible that you can sit down and walk through with somebody, whoever, that might be a non believer, a new believer, uh, someone in your family, a friend. Uh, so, for instance, if you've got a new believer in your life and, and they want to grow in the, the, the truths of Christianity, you could walk them through the book of Ephesians or Colossians and they give you an outline for that here. And and then if you've got a, a non-Christian friend that you just want to introduce to the claims of Christ and introduce to Jesus, you can walk them through the book of Mark and, and they have Q&A here in this that, that help you. But uh, the whole book, the whole idea behind this book was to encourage believers to be basically opening the Bible with, Christians and non-Christians alike, and and this was an answer to prayer for me uh, because I was asking the Lord, God, would you help me to really uh, be more evangelistic, to be sharing my faith more and more, and, and would you help me to see the opportunities that are around me and, and show me how I can really uh, make plain the truth of the gospel, and, and this book helped me. It just challenged me uh, to, to just simply invite somebody into my life and go through the book of Mark with, and I've done that several times since reading this. And each time, except once, when I've asked someone to read the book of Mark with me, they've said yes. And so I think out of six or seven times, um, the, the individuals who I've invited into my life to do this have said yes. And so it's been a great privilege of mine to essentially just... Take someone by the hand and and walk them through the book of Mark and help them to see Jesus and the claims of Jesus and who he says he is and what he did and and let them make the decision for themselves because it's the work of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. I can't win someone to Jesus. I can't make them a Christian. I want them to become one, but to show them Jesus and then for them to um, really come to a crossroads at the end of Mark. And that's what was so exciting about this book. It helped me get there. And it's just been provoking me ever since, in a good way. Ever since. All right, so, turn with me, please, to Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles. If not, it's okay. Uh, this first lesson is is on being a disciple of Jesus. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about making disciples of Jesus. And some of that's going to be peppered in here. But this first lesson is on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And and I want the the... And I want to answer the question first, why this series to begin with? Why are we doing a, a discipleship series? And first, I, I want the mysterious veil of what discipleship is to be lifted. I, I want the professionalism uh, that is oftentimes associated with making disciples to be rejected. Okay, This is not for the professional. This is not only for the pastor or, or for the evangelist on, on, on some on staff at a church somewhere, for your community group leader. I want faith to be imparted and vision increased in all of us. I want us to be concerned with the missionary strategy of Jesus and our call to walk in obedience. Jesus has given us a missionary strategy, and I want us to be concerned with that missionary strategy. And again, in answering the series, or the question why this series, the answer is, I was also struck by Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And the command that we find there, the instruction that we find there. So let's turn our attention to Matthew 28. And we see in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus uh, had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age so when you hear this passage what comes to your mind what comes what comes to mind when you when you hear the words of christ here i mean what thoughts are filling your head even now your thoughts immediately go to some full-time missionary friend of yours in South America or Africa somewhere. Maybe you think about the short-term mission trips that maybe you've participated in over the years. Yeah, this is what it means to go and make disciples. Maybe that's what's filling your mind, but this passage is commonly referred to as the great commission. And when we we hear about it, it, it can make we, we can make some common mistakes and assumptions. Uh, one's like, this is only for disciples, the disciples back then. That's one common mistake or assumption we can make. This is only for the disciples back then. Or this is only about converts, ma- people making a profession of faith in Jesus. Okay. They're making disciples and, and, and is all about just seeing someone saved. And then you move on to another person. That's a misconception. Another one is that this is only for those who are called to be missionaries quote missionaries especially foreign missionaries and the truth is we're all missionaries the day we've come to, we came to know jesus he not only called us out of darkness but he empowered us with his holy spirit and sent us back into the world on mission wherever we are we're on mission so all of us are missionaries but in our heads sometimes we think well this is for full-time missionaries the mission here we see in matthew 28 it comes from the lips of king jesus I want you to to feel the weight of that. This is our our king. This is the risen Lord. And this mission comes to us. And it comes with instructions. And and Jesus promises to be with us. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to come back to help you on this mission. He says, I'm going to be with you always. To the very end of the age. So, So have you ever gone somewhere or have you ever done something without the authority that you needed? I mean, this doesn't feel right. Right. I mean, e- even driving in the carpool lane and you know, you shouldn't be there. It's just not right. You don't have the authority to be in that lane. Get out. Or about like going backstage? You don't, you don't have a backstage pass. And you're just kind of sneaking around. You want to see your favorite rock star or something. You're not, you're not supposed to be there, but if you have the pass, that's gold right there. I can be here. I've got all access. Well, Jesus has given us a command. And he said he would be with us. And, and it's important for us to see that the authority that we need, the command that, that, that's been given also comes with this authority. And, and this. And we need to hear this authoritative command. This isn't just some sort of like kind of suggestion for you and I. As if we can kind of take it or leave it. This is a call. This is a a command. This is an appointed task. It's a mission. It's not an important recommendation from Jesus. It's a commission. And so we have the promise of his presence with us. We're not called to do this alone. He's empowered us with his very presence, which is the Holy Spirit. And so after Christ was raised, uh, about 50 days later, what the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And so we see this empowering why he says so that you might be my witnesses beginning in jerusalem and then judea and samaria and then to the uh, the world well we've we've felt the ripple effects of of that equipping we are the fruit of people who have, inve- who have who have basically obeyed the command of of jesus to make disciples now we are the world right we're about as far away from jerusalem as you can imagine. But it's reached us. It's reached our ears. It's reached our generation. There were men and women and children who were faithful to the call to make disciples. The baton has been handed to us. Will we be faithful to make disciples? The one with all authority is speaking and he's telling us to do something. In John 20 verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And so we are... Sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, sent to make disciples, not decisions, and there's a big difference. And and, and where are we sent? We're sent right here. Wherever you are, you've been sent. And John Stott, he's a, a pastor. He's passed away now. And, and uh, author, he, he said this about being sent and about this particular passage in John 20, verse 21, as, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He says, Jesus did not stay in the safe immunity of his heaven. Instead, he emptied himself of his glory and he humbled himself to serve. He actually entered our world. He took our nature. He lived our life and died our death. He could not have identified with us more closely than he did. And now he calls us to enter other people's worlds as he entered ours. You catch that? We're called to enter other people's social and cultural reality into their thought world, struggling to understand their misunderstandings of the gospel and into the pain of their alienation, weeping with those who weep. And this without compromising our Christian beliefs, values, or standards. We're called to do what Jesus did. He entered our sin-sick, broken world. And we're called to enter the world of those around us, not to retreat into our own little corner, a little safe zone, but to enter the world of those around us and bring them the gospel. Some other common misconceptions I want you to be aware of is that sometimes discipleship and making disciples uh, is viewed as just simply um, happening in a classroom setting. Now, this is a class and this is a form of disciple making. I'm speaking, you're listening. Hopefully, uh, you're, you're benefiting from this uh, or that you will benefit from this class. But that's not the only way that disciples are made. And some think that this is the primary place where discipleship is is to be made. Well, disciple-making and evangelism, some would say another misconception, are really two different things or two different categories. And I would disagree with that. Discipleship and evangelism really go hand in hand. As you sit down with somebody and explain the truths of the gospel, as you walk them through books of the Bible, you might find that this person who you believed was a young believer or an immature believer was, in fact, not a believer at all. And so you're evangelizing them as you bring them through books of the Bible, as you just speak from your heart, maybe your experience with the Lord Jesus, your understanding of grace and love, the truth of redemption and the cross. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who you believed was a Christian? They said, I'm a Christian. And as you start talking to them, you, you, you begin to realize, wow, this person really doesn't understand the faith, but they believe they're a Christian. And so how do you respond to that? You know what I do? I talk to them like they're a Christian, knowing that, I don't know, really, I'm not their judge. They, they may be a believer, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak to them in a way that is as clear as I know how about grace and the love of God and, and his, his faithfulness to save me. And all the while knowing that hopefully this is a testimony that will speak to them and, and ignite within them a desire to, to, to press in more to this Jesus that I'm speaking about. So it's not my, my job to find out whether or not they're truly a believer or not, but to share my faith. And in sharing my faith, in discipling them, evangelism is happening. Well, thanks, Ron. <laughs> you, you prefer that, obviously. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm cool with that. Uh, we can do that. So another misconce- misconception is that we assume we're not making disciples. Uh, we can just assume that everyone else you know, is, is making disciples or, you know, what's going on. We look at our life and we're like, ah, I'm not making disciples. We start getting nervous. This is the command that that Jesus has given me. I want to make disciples and I'm not doing it. And, or we think I'm not making disciples uh, to any great extent, at least. And and the reason is, is that we don't understand it because it's, it's more about culture than curriculum and we often miss it. Let me explain that. Disciple making is more about culture than curriculum and we often miss it. In other words, when you invite someone into your life to watch you just to, just to, just to be your friend and invest in them, you you may not have this curriculum that you're taking them through for the next, you know, 24 weeks, but as you have coffee with them, as you share your life, as you eat a meal with them, they're watching you, you've invited them in and that is going to speak to them louder than almost anything you could, you could bring them. And so we, we, we wonder, am I discipling? Well, let me just say you are discipling. The question is, how are you discipling those around you? If you're a parent, you're discipling your kids. They're watching you live your life. If you're a husband, you're discipling your wife and, and wives are discipling their husbands as they invest in, in they you're sharpening one another. And so we're, we're discipling others, coworkers, uh, fellow students, neighbors. There's a discipleship. When we meet, when I meet every Thursday morning with three other brothers in Christ uh, for coffee at, at 7 o'clock, mostly, every Thursday morning. And what are we doing? We're just going through books of the Bible, praying for each other. Yeah, we're catching up on life. We got about an hour together before Jeremy has to leave. And then and then James is shortly leaving after that. And then it's usually Heath and I just sitting across the table and we're summing things up, praying for one another. What is that? That's discipleship. That's discipleship happening. We're investing in, in each other's lives. I am a disciple you are a disciple but oftentimes we get this mentality that discipleship is all about like you've got to be like the the sensei and they're the grasshopper and you have to have been arrived have have arrived at some you know you you know all there is to know about a particular topic before you can begin to invest in somebody and that's just not the case it's just not true I want to build the right culture. I want us to build the right culture together here at Gulf Coast. Culture is a set of shared attitudes and values, goals, and practices that characterizes a group of people. In other words, it's a way of life. It's a way of life. I want to be a part of a discipleship culture here. We have a discipleship mission that's been handed to us. Jesus made disciples by inviting people into his life. His life was his classroom. And so every one of us then becomes a living laboratory for disciple making. And and it begins to weave its way into every fiber of our culture, every fiber of our life. It's going to require time. It's going to require us being strategic and just mindful of discipleship opportunities. It's going to require sacrifice. What is a disciple? Here's a good definition for a disciple if you're taking notes. A disciple is someone who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus, at least, is someone who responds in faith and obedience. Faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ. And being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Jesus to come alive in us. We're dying to self. It's a lifelong process of dying to self. Dying to self while allowing Jesus to come alive in us. That the world would see the risen Lord in our lives. And it begins with repentance. It begins with a change of direction. It's a complete change of mind. It's a complete change of life and purpose. It's a whole new way of life. The Gospels and Jesus himself is clear that it's not simply a way to satisfy a religious corner of our life. Instead, it's meant to dominate every area of our life. This isn't just about satisfying this little religious corner. This is total domination. This is total obsession. This is, I I am consumed with the reality of who God is in his son, Jesus, and it's changed me. So the big question of our night here is, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? We see the command from our king. We know that he's with us. He's equipped us, and he's, he's going to be with us to carry out this command. All right? And we want to feel the weight of that. But what, is it, what does it really look like now to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk this out? Look look with me, please, at Luke 14. I could I could take you to a number of passages. But look with me at Luke 14. We're going to start in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and and estimate the, the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. (laughs) He'd be wise to do that. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. What's happening here? These are strong words, right? We need to take Jesus' words seriously. Try to picture yourself right there. Standing before Jesus as he says these words. I'm sorry, what did he just say? Might have been the response. Did, did he just say what I think he said? I mean, if someone really came up to you that you'd been hearing was a great teacher and said, hey, buddy, you gotta, you gotta hate your mom and dad, your husband your wife, your kids, if you're going to really be a disciple of mine. The truth is, hating, as Jesus uses it here, is an ancient Hebrew expression. And the crowds gathered would have understood this in their culture. It means to love less. So really, what does it mean to be a disciple? Number one, it means this, to love everything and everyone less than Jesus. And Jesus was very clear about that. He couldn't be clearer. These are ways of describing complete commitment. A clear requirement for discipleship is to love everything less than Jesus. Jesus is calling us to make a comparison and he does it a lot in the gospels. Compared to everything and everyone else, we're called to love him the most. He's always to be given the greater love of our life. This is about total allegiance. This is about really Jesus is, is, is setting the precedence and he's saying, what's priority to you? What's central in your life? You're surrounded by lesser loves that want to be the greater love of your life. Who or what is fighting for your attention? Think about this. So as a husband, I have to purposefully find ways to express my love for my wife, Valerie. I still fight temptation and lust, laziness and sloth, indifference and apathy, but I have to still fight through that to express my love for my wife. In the same way, Are we expressing our love? Are we fighting fiercely to protect the center of of our affection that belongs to Jesus alone? The center is reserved. It's for him. He's to be the center. The center must be protected because there are lesser loves that want our affection and our attention. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving your wife, loving your kids, loving your mom. No, these are good things. But again, he's just making a point. You've got to love them less. Of course, he says, even love your enemies. And we, we want to love. He calls us to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And to love your neighbor as yourself. So love is involved in being a disciple of Jesus. But he says, you must love them less. And there are great things, but they should not be the greatest thing in your life. So what's the greatest thing? Is it Christ? The lesser loves of life are waiting, and if we don't live purposefully, they'll not only get our attention, but possibly our affection. So we have to start identifying those areas that we're most tempted to put before our relationship with Jesus. And so what are the obstacles that we need to overcome? What are the obstacles that you need to overcome? And as I talk to you about this, this is really something you can have. You can walk through Luke 14 and other passages, Luke 9. We're going to look at in a few minutes with with a, a, a new believer or Uh, someone considering the claims of Christ. You can can walk through this with uh, a young believer or a mature believer for that matter. And really, we should be just wrestling through this again and again and again. Am I following Jesus faithfully? Am I guarding the center that belongs to him alone? Are my affections most stirred by the reality of his love for me? We have obstacles that we need to overcome. Maybe it's yourself, your own agenda and desires, comforts, your work, your fun, your relationships. Maybe it's other people. What are they going to think if I follow Jesus? They're going to think I'm a radical. You know, if I really show this kind of commitment that Jesus is calling me to. Maybe it's the devil himself, Satan, trying to derail you. Even your own family. Listen, if, if I love and pursue them more than I love and pursue Jesus, it's wrong. But when I love and pursue Jesus first... Is the greatest way that I could love and pursue my wife. What are your priorities? It's the greatest way I can love my children. It's by loving Christ passionately and to do it in front of them, to invite them to do the same. Love everything and everyone less than Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? Love everything and everyone less than Jesus. Number two, it means prepare to follow Jesus, whatever the cost whatever the cost crucifixion is a shocking metaphor for discipleship in the gospels jesus himself is the one who used it and so a disciple must deny himself this is dying to self-will take up his cross in other words embrace god's will no matter what the cost and follow jesus again luke 14 verse 27 jesus says and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so the goal of self-denial and taking up your cross is about being free to follow King Jesus. Self-denial means letting go of self-determination and replacing it with obedience to and dependence on Jesus. We are dependent. We're to abide in Christ. It's 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 to dwell in him. And as we do so we'll bear much fruit. We're to express this dependency daily turning away from our natural self-centeredness, being prepared to give up our lives for Jesus, literally. I want you to really consider the call uh, of Jesus now in Luke chapter 9. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We'll look at verse 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could start there. We can do that. Peter's confession of Jesus we gotta back up. Go to eighteen. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others uh, that that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. He makes it real personal. Ah, but what about you? What about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? That's what Jesus was interested in. Enough about the crowds. What about you? Peter answered, the Christ, the Christ of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that essentially what he's saying is the one who all the prophets had been speaking of, the one the law and the prophets had been speaking of. You are him. You are the the king who was to come and deliver us from the oppression of our enemies. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. See, they they didn't have a clear understanding of really what that would mean for them. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Let's just back up a minute. He says in verse 23, If anyone would come after me, he should deny himself? He could possibly? No, no. He says he must. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This isn't like one big sacrifice, okay? Like... uh, like giving up a kidney and and then you move on. It's like, this is like daily mini deaths. This is, this is, this is a lifestyle of self-denial of taking up your cross and following your King Jesus, whoever wants to save his life. If you want to save your life, you're going to to have to lose it, but you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, he says, you're going to save it. So, so if you're into this self-preservation, if you're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. And then he makes this wonderful comparison again. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? He, he says the whole world. I mean, You got it all. Imagine if you had it all. Everything. The house. The cars. Um, the family. The job. Everything. The, the, the huge salary. The retirement. The vacations. Whatever your mind can come up with. You have it all let's just say you gain it all basically jesus is saying you've got the world you've got the authority you've got everything you could ever long for but gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit his very self what good is it what good is what good is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your life you lose your soul Following Christ isn't saying I love Jesus; it's saying that I love Jesus and I, I'm going to live for Him. His love will shape my life. I'm going to display that love by the way I live my life. To say that you have faith is one thing, but to live according to that faith is another. Nominalism is: I'm, 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 I'm a Christian in name only. I go to church, I pray at dinner, but that's pretty much defines my faith. You know, we that's not the that's not what Jesus is describing here. I heard the story of this man named Abdul Rahman of Afghanistan. He was a Christian, had been for sixteen years, and when the authorities discovered his faith, he was immediately arrested for his beliefs and brought to trial for owning a Bible. That's what he was brought to trial for. He owned a Bible. This event caught the eye of the international community when pictures of Abdul holding his Bible up in court and saying, I'm a Christian. And I am not afraid to die spread throughout the media dismissed by the Afghan courts as insane and granted asylum by the Italian government. Mr. Rahman is now a free man. And he says, quote, I read the Bible. I read the Bible and it opened my heart and mind. He told the newspaper, speaking of his family. He said, they saw I wasn't praying with them and that I was reading the Bible. They asked me and I told the truth. I had become a Christian. Mr. Rahman said he he did not want to die. Quote, but if God decides I'm ready to confront my choices all the way. Are you? Are you ready to confront your choices all the way? Mr. Rahman said, I'm not afraid to die. What about you? What does denying yourself look like? What What is taking up your cross to follow Jesus look like? Can you say, I'm not afraid to make less money at my job in order to stay at a local church that preaches the gospel? Can you say, I'm not afraid to seek out accountability and invite other believers to speak into my life, even, even though that means I have to confess sin that I'm shameful of. Will you die to yourself? Are you afraid? Are you ashamed? Are you afraid to be laughed at when you pray or, or made fun of when you evangelize, when you share your faith? Afraid to cry out to God for help or to express your love for God freely or to ask questions in front of your family? Are you afraid to ask forgiveness when you sin against somebody? men? are you afraid to, to really lead, to take that, understand your responsibility as the spiritual head of your home and begin to pray with your family and lead them in Bible study? Are you afraid to do that? Are you afraid to humbly stand up for righteousness, even if it means being labeled intolerant or legalistic? Are you afraid to admit that this life is really not all about you? Are you afraid that God will take something away from you that you'd be better off having that he might take something from you are you afraid he doesn't really have your best interests at heart these are real fears that we can have Luke 9 is basically basically asked if, if we're ready to participate in our own death it's an odd question don't you think not one we're like commonly like asked you ready to die you're gonna die daily? Christ is calling us to the death of self-rule. He's calling us to die daily. Many deaths that confront our pride and our comfort, our agenda, our desires, our money, our time. Calling us to live as genuine followers. Taking up your cross isn't just one big scary sacrifice and then you're done with it. It's a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, life of dependency on the Lord Jesus so following Jesus does involve changing many behaviors in certain activities, but very often it will mean doing the very same things in a different way. You know, when we become a Christian, there's some activity we've got to stop. If we're involved in you know, view, viewing pornography online or if we're in a, a, a relationship where, you know, we're having sex outside of marriage, that, that stuff, that needs to stop. There's some clear commands and rules in scripture that God gives us for our good, for God's glory. But then there are other things that we do on a day-to-day basis as followers of Jesus that we keep doing, but we're just going to do in a different way. Really because our whole life has been transformed. So for instance, the way, to, the way we relate to our coworkers or to our boss, the way we treat our neighbor, the way we treat the person who cuts us off, that could care less about us, how do we, do we care about them? Because we've been transformed. The way we don't retaliate when someone does something wrong to us, the way we don't slander or don't speak ill of somebody. It's because we're being shaped by the reality of God's grace. The way you treat others when they're rude to you. On and on. I have to ask again and again, do I know how to follow Jesus? Am I following him? Or am I? Am I trying again to take the lead? Do I have a follower's identity? Am I am I following him? We have to ask that question in calling us to die. Christ is actually rescuing us from death and giving us real life. Have you thought of that? So this, this death isn't about this dying daily. Isn't just, you know, so that we can have live a miserable life. This is about him rescuing us from living for ourselves and seeing that we've been given the privilege and opportunity to live for a cause so much greater than anything we could come up with on our own. Stop living for the kingdom of me and start living for the kingdom of God. He's invited us in. Many of us try to plan out our own life story without giving much thought to God's story, to the good news of Jesus and its claim on our lives. And when God's story affects us to the core of our being, it will become the central theme of our life story. It defines us. His story defines us and and it's changed us and it continues to change us and shape us. Finally, number three, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to abandon your life and find true life. Find true life. Back to Luke 14. Remember the story about the one who was to... Build a tower. The question was by Jesus, if you want to go build a tower, what should you do? What would you do? What should you consider? Well, can you do it? Can you finish it? If, if you want to go to war against another king, what should you consider? Can you beat him? <laughs> Both illustrations, they warn us against making a hasty decision to follow Jesus. Potential disciples must first consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And so abandon your life and find true life. And then in verse 33, he says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And so this is it. If we don't live this way, we are not disciples of Jesus. We're not disciples. This is what he calls us to. We don't want to fool ourselves. I'm not trying to convince you that you're not a disciple of Jesus, but I do want some evaluating to go on. I do want us to make the comparison. Now, I'm not saying we're going to live this way perfectly. But I think we need to take the claims of Christ seriously. Don't you? Is it all worth it? He's life. He is peace. He is hope. He is joy. Yeah, it's worth it. This isn't about trying harder. This is about surrender. We have to settle the issue of commitment and surrender. How badly do you want to learn to follow Jesus? Are you ready? Are you willing to surrender? To let Jesus tell you what to do. You know, some people they hear these the truths of Christianity and they say, you know, I know I know that, and I've known that for a while. I grew up believing these things to be true. Some might even progress and say, you know, I, I agree. I agree that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. That He He died, and He rose again. I agree with that. But then question i have is do you believe you can know you can agree but do you believe a lot of people in our culture a lot of people around us can say you know i i know these truths i even agree but to believe requires action requires a lifestyle requires faith and faith is not something that's quiet and hidden in a corner it's daily it's active I want to close uh, and, and by going back to Matthew 28, and then we'll open up for some Q&A, some conversation here. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, we, we, we heard this great commission given from Jesus, and the original 11 disciples were given this commission, and they went on to make disciples, who I said went on to make disciples, who then made disciples, and 2,000 years later, the gospel has reached us, they were examples to every disciple who followed after them. This commission then is binding on every follower of Jesus to make others what they themselves are, and that's disciples. So the emphasis is on making disciples. Where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We, we might get the impression that go is the emphasis of the command in verse 19 but the main verb of the sentence is make disciples and so while you go into the world in other words Jesus is saying while you go since you are going wherever you go make disciples so we don't wait to go somewhere we've we've been sent we are somewhere and wherever we are wherever we go Since we are going, we're called to make disciples. And so the other three words explain how we are to make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching them. And we're going to get into that next week. But the the Great Commission, really, it makes easy believism an impossibility. It, It demands an ongoing response from each one of us. Will we obey? Will we follow? And only time will tell. But the mission of God will continue on. And I want in. I want to be a part. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this glorious rescue mission that he's on to save the lost, to restore the broken, to display his love. And he invites us. So this mission is coming from King Jesus. This mission is to us. It's reached our ears and it comes with instructions and we know that Jesus himself will be with us. that's good isn't it you know this evening i i I wanted you to feel the 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 command i wanted you to feel this commission the weightiness of it I, i don't want you to doubt whether or not you're a follower of jesus however we talk a lot about sins that we commit what about sins of omission we see this command and, and and it's it's as if we, we expect others to fulfill it. But it's us. We've been given this command. So so what's our response to this? Lord, use use me. Give me the give me the, the confidence to, to speak into someone else's life or just to share a meal with them and share my faith, to pray with them, to model with my life and to know that I'm doing that. And it's okay if I know that I'm doing that. It's not arrogant. I just want to love them and show them how just just share my life with somebody. So it could be peers that we're just relating to and encouraging one another. It could be someone younger in the faith that we're calling to come alongside us and inviting them into our life. But pray, what one person can you begin to invest in? Maybe there's a non-believer in your life that really God's just been giving you great favor with that you can speak the truth of the gospel to and and, and invite them into your life in, in a unique way to read through the book of Mark or uh, another gospel, Luke, Whatever. What is is God calling us all to do? He's calling us all to make disciples. But do you understand what it means to be a disciple? Jesus didn't beat around the bush. He didn't hide the the great responsibility and um, the call that was on each one who would say, I'll follow you. For For those who followed him, his disciples, they gave, literally, they gave their life for this they saw that it was worth it is this truly the god of all flesh who's revealed himself in his son who's invited us into a personal relationship with him who's invited us to really find great freedom in him to take his yoke upon ourselves to to see that the burden is light that there's great joy in finding him To see that living for the kingdom of God is really like finding a a treasure hidden, buried in a field. And with great joy, we go and we buy that field and we spend all that we have on that field so that treasure can be ours. The rule and reign of God through his son Jesus and the truth of the gospel is like that treasure. Is is it our joy? Is it our all? Yeah, there's a command and there's a responsibility. And we have an obligation but it's a sweet one. It's a glorious one. I want to be about this business of training my sons of loving my wife the way I should and discipling her of inviting my neighbors into my life and inviting them to know Jesus co-workers. So I'm still working on Jerry, and Steve, um, whatever, whoever's in our life, who's in your sphere right now, who's in your life? Look around Don't wait. Those people might not be in your life next week or next month or next year. Pray. Let's ask God to work in our heart and prepare us for what's ahead. We don't need to have all the answers or know specifically how God is going to use us. He simply calls us to follow wherever he might lead. Be honest about your doubts. Be honest about your hesitations and your fears. Ask him to give the strength to proceed and follow him no matter what the cost. Let's do that and then we'll open up for some Q&A. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. I I pray that Lord, you would help us to see what we're called to as those who would profess to know you through your son Jesus. That oh God, you'd protect us from sitting on these glorious truths that we've come to know and embrace and love. That Lord have transformed our lives forever. And that we would instead do the most loving thing that we could possibly do for someone and that's share the truth of Jesus. Share our lives, inviting them into our life that they might see our faith lived out loud. God, help us. Help us to see the great privilege it is to be ambassadors of Christ. To represent you. Father, thank you that you would uh, be so kind to include us in on your mission. That we might be able to proclaim the truth of your gospel uh, to a lost and dying world and live that out and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ along the way with it, discipling others as we are being discipled as well. Amen. Well, so much could be said. Um, I, what I'd like to do is uh, just open it up for Q&A right now. Um, we got a few minutes. I, I want to end at 730 uh, each night. I just want you to know. Next next week, we're going to talk about making disciples and 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 what's involved in that. And then the final week, we're going to talk about just really get into some practices that I've done um, in making disciples. Any thoughts or questions about what was said tonight? Rose, um, you um, made a comment and it. I can't remember exactly how you said it, but it's a bad habit of mine of not being resentful for something, someone cutting you off, or or if somebody says something mean to you. In other words, turning the other cheek. Can you recommend any scripture or things that I can study that helps me to not take things personal, to turn the other cheek, because that's I think that's one of the ways to, to push off somebody that you want to disciple. Yeah, that's really, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Yeah, Philippians 2 would be a great uh, chapter to read and, um, and pray through. Another one would be um, Ephesians uh, 5 would be good. Um, those are two. Galatians uh, chapter five would be good as well. But Philippians is is so good. It's the do nothing, do everything sandwich is what I call it. Uh, You've got verse three of Philippians two, which says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be that uh, be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Uh, and then it goes on to describe what Jesus has done. And then in verse 14, it says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And so you've got do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And and, and what's in the middle? The life of Jesus, his example, what he did, humbling himself, becoming a man, dying. Uh, and so our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And so praying uh, to that end is, is is a good thing to do. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Something else that helps me when people cut me off or they're rude to me. It's like that person is made in God's image. They're, they're not a nobody, they're not a zero, and I shouldn't treat them as such. They, they reflect their creator like nothing else in creation. Now, the Christian, I believe, uh, reflects their creator better. Because of the way that Christian is living and acting, walking in holiness, walking in love, walking in unity with their brother and sister in Christ. But that non believer is created in God's image and reflects God, whether they acknowledge that or not, we should. And so that that should really affect how we treat humans, people. Any other questions, thoughts? Sure. Very good. Very good. Um, one question I had was, and I really love the, the three sort of things to look at as far as an argument being a disciple. Um, i just wondering, to a certain extent, we can all look at that and do our own self-assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know sometimes you know, we can deceive ourselves. You know, am I, okay, number one, am I loving everything and everyone less than Jesus? No, you not know, perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> um, am, I, am I following regardless of the cost? Yeah. Well, I think so. We know, I sacrifice and give up. Is this something that you would recommend? Do we just do our own assessment? Do we ask somebody else that knows us? You know, how, what do you think? I would do both. you kind of? Yeah. Part of what I'm looking at is this. Um, I guess it gets back to the question can I be a disciple unless I'm being a disciple? Mm. Uh, maybe I can be, but well you are a disciple of Jesus if if you have placed your full faith and trust in him to save you from your sin and and uh, and from the end result of that sin which would be God's wrath and punishment and so by faith which is a gift from his hand you enter into this new relationship with God through his son and you are his disciple a follower of Jesus as a follower we must be listening to our leader, and, and 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 obeying his commands and in his instruction, and they, there's they're weighty. There's something to them. They're not just empty. I mean, we're called to to listen and respond, and he calls us to something particular. And so, to answer your question, um, yes, do some self-evaluation, ask some questions. I mean, don't beat yourself up over this. But remember, this isn't about trying harder. Ultimately, this is about surrendering. And abiding in Christ and saying, "I am yours." So, so here's my life, Lord. Use me. And I think it would be helpful to invite other believers into your life and say, "What do you see, you know, in my life?" But again, we're not on like this. Um, we're not trying to hunt down, uh, you know, try to cut open our heart and see the sin behind the sin behind the sin. And 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 we're just. I just want to. I want to live my life open before you, Lord. I, I want to be obedient to the commands, and I want to see the rich blessing that comes with that. And yeah, so, you know, Paul in Romans, he's like, I am obligated to preach this gospel. I mean, if I don't, like, woe is me. Like, oh my, like, I must do this. And then in, in, in Corinthians, we see that we're ambassadors of Christ. You know, we've got this message of reconciliation. I don't know if that answers your question. But yeah, I mean, just at talking to others and interacting, sure. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want us to walk out going like, oh, I don't love everything less than Jesus. But then again i mean do we read our bibles that way and when we when we hear these commands of christ and do we do we shut them and think i could never i could never do what he's asking me to do i could never take up my cross daily and follow him that's a serious call how do we do that faithfully and honestly if he calls us to it will he equip us to do it give us the strength to walk it out yeah yeah he's with us always to the very end of the age we're not going to do it in our own strength. And when we see areas of our life where uh, our affections are being turned to money or our own reputation, it's like, all right, Lord, thanks for showing that to me, point, pointing that out, putting your finger on that and help me to really um, focus on you the way I need to live for you, your glory. doesn't mean you in that moment, not, you become a, you're like you're not a disciple anymore. And that's important for us all to hear. It's not like you're going to move in and out of discipleship here based on whether or not you're actually um, loving other things. Um, although, I will say this, if you live your life not with Christ not central and essentially stiff-arming the commands you see in Scripture, you know, God's your judge, and we, we need to be soft towards these things, and we need to be eager to respond to what we see. And, and you wouldn't be here unless you were. And so it's exciting. And not receiving these as strict, harsh commands, but no, an invitation to be a part of his missionary work to lost to the lost around us. Sandy? Um, Having lived a few years... Uh, we won't ask how many, Sandy. <laughs> ...and then It seems like that uh, some people are just thrown at you. You know, you. It's like Paul said, I'm compelled. Yeah, yeah. And it just comes out. And other people, like neighbors or somebody, you think, Am I ever gonna say anything to them? (laughs) Am waiting for a foreign missionary to come to their door? And I never have been quite able to reconcile, to figure. You know, what is that? What is the fact that you don't open your mouth? Hell, I can't not talk to my God to talk to my God. And some people that I know aren't saved, and I can't get up the courage to say anything. Hmm. Yeah. Pray. Yeah. And, and 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 trust that you know God could be using other people uh, as well, but the bottom line is that you you, you don't want to wait for others when God's giving you the opportunity. And, and pray to be creative. And just, you know what I find is that you just love people. Invite them into your life and let them see what you really believe. And um, they're ultimately going to need to make the decision of what they believe. And so let them see Christ in you. And don't be ashamed, you know, when people are going through hard times to pray for them. And uh, say, can I pray for you? You know, ask them, have you you ever read the Bible? Invite them into your life. These are just ways to come alongside somebody. But yeah, you know, it's like... You can have this great boldness. And then all of a sudden, I I, I had an experience at Starbucks, you know, where this this girl, like, started asking about... She was working behind the counter. Um, She said, I looked like some guy on a TV show who's actually, like, the devil. Um, I didn't know how to take that. So, basically, to to her, I looked like Satan. Um, And I was like, certainly, there's some sort of evangelistic opportunity here. So, yeah... I could use the pastor thing, but, you know, it usually doesn't work very well. But, um, no, instead I just, I, I ran away. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I'll take a tall, all right? Uh, but, yeah, it, I was I was ashamed that I was just so um, fearful to say anything. Sure. Come on. I always get nervous about that moment Give up everything and follow me on how I don't are we not have any kind of selfish ambition to yeah well we're not to uh, have selfish ambition but we're to have ambition and we're to have a desire to use all the gifts and the the resources that God has given us to use for his glory and so um, there's you know, the call for that, that rich young ruler to basically go sell all his possessions and then follow. Jesus was putting his finger on the idol of, of that man's life. He, he was saying, oh, I've done all these things that you've been asking ever since I was young. Oh, but would he would he give up his money? His money. That's what he loved. And he, he wouldn't. And Jesus loved him. Um, but the, the man walked away sad. And so for us, you know, it, it's not as if we it, yeah, we need, money needs to be in its right place, uh, and, and we need to have—we need to understand that it shouldn't be our all and our end all. But we, we want to use our money for His glory. We want to give. I mean, I think of the wealthy people in Scripture. Not all of them were called to sell their homes and sell everything they had physically, but they were called to live in a particular way that showed that that wasn't what they were living for. Right? So, I don't know if that's helpful. Well, I think it's attitude. Am I willing to give it up? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I'm willing to sacrifice my son, yeah. Abraham, Yossi. Yeah. yeah. 15, it's, it's not necessarily that I do it, it's worth my heart. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. that he can everything as a loss. Just just to know it. Yeah, he, he said compared to the surpassing value the, the worth of knowing Christ. Everything know. else is like dung. Yeah, yeah it's nothing. It's awesome. And that's important for us to hear. Because the call to die is really an invitation to real life. Because any trail I mean follow the trail of money. Uh, or success, or th- whatever. It, you come up wanting, empty, leads to despair. It's because it, it doesn't satisfy. So it's a call to life. It's call to death. So Jesus meant it. You lose your life, you gain it. Well, I'll leave you with that. Um, next week we'll come together again. Uh, I, I hope to see you. Uh, I do have... Uh, an assignment for you, some homework. You didn't expect that, right? Um, It's actually, I I printed a chapter out of Multiply, uh, Francis Chan's book, and it's on the command to make disciples. And so what I'd like to do is uh, for you all to read this and fill out the questions and what we'll do when we come together next Sunday is we'll begin, the first 10 minutes will be just, um, I'd love to hear how you responded And if if, if you want to share, great. If not, it's okay. But just to some of the questions, and we'll interact with it a little bit. And hopefully this will just kind of drive home some of the stuff that we talked about tonight. And so um, don't leave without one of these. Thank you for being here. Um, And once you get one, you guys can hang out, fellowship, whatever.